Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann. What are we going to talk about today? Let's talk about exit interviews, Dave, because I think they're an important piece of like figuring out what's going on in the organization. Oh, you only do exit interviews when somebody's exiting. Which one of us is exiting? Well, I figured this was a good time to tell you. I got to go. No, I'm kidding. Do you, do you <laughs> want me to hold the podcast while you go and then you can come back and... Oh, not that kind of go. Never mind. That was a little pot. That was potty humor. <laughs> yes, it wasn't very humorous. So if I had to explain it, right? Exactly. Of course, I'm every once in a while like I don't get it. But anyway, no, no, no. Let's talk about like you know finding out what's going on in your organization because right now engagement and retention are huge issues. And so being able to figure out what's going on in the organization is super important so you can keep the valuable talent. Absolutely. And I definitely want to talk about this. I just want to point out something because I've read this a lot right now that, and actually employee engagement has been an issue forever. Oh, yeah. I think we're, we're really sensitive to it right now because of the great resignation. Right. Right. Because and, the great understaffedness yeah, of every organization I walked in, I, I walked into one. There's been one in the last year and a half that said, "No, we're actually have all of our positions filled." One out of what eighty-five or ninety organizations in the last year and a half. And I'd be willing to bet, while that may be true, I'm sure it was true. I don't mean to doubt that, but I'm sure it was true for that organization. I'll bet it's not true for whatever industry that organization. Oh, totally not. Exactly. Because I be, it was a bank and all the other banks and credit unions and financial institutions were like, no, we're doing the job of three people. And so you're right. Like I, I, we know that engagement has been an issue for a long time, um, but now it hurts even more because as people leave, now we have even fewer people to fill the jobs. Um, yeah. Right. Well, there's right. There's two separate sides to this problem. There's the one, in spite of the economic turmoil we're in, there are in you know, because because that's a macro thing. But within that macro, there are sec- sectors of the industry uh, of various industries that are doing well. Where there's a ton of growth opportunity, and not and typically to grow, you need to add staff. If you're running as efficiently as possible, the only way to grow, you know, there's sort of, a, well, I won't go into too much into the business side, but there's a certain amount of growth you can achieve with your existing staff, and then you need to add staff. And mm-hmm. that's always the case. And it's so so the, the staffing issue is one, those, those companies can't um, take advantage of the growth because it's more difficult to add staff. And then- other companies where they're losing staff, right? That they need to hold hold on to people and or replace people just to keep where they are. So it, you know, right. it's sort of same problem with two different ways of manifesting. Right. Yeah. But whatever the case, we need to make sure that we're keeping our strong talent because not only are they doing their job, they're doing other jobs as people leave or while we're trying to fill those positions. 
Right. And they are getting burned out by it. Totally. So, which brings up an interesting question because you, you opened this up with the exit interview and mm-hmm. that's actually a little late, isn't it? Well, yeah. You know, as soon as I said it, I was like, you know, this is a little bit late when they're already leaving. And the beauty of when they're leaving is they're going to be 100% honest because they're going to be like, what do you got to do? Fire me, you know? <laughs> so they're going to be 100% honest if you can catch them before they get out the door. But ideally, if there's someone you wanted to keep, you're right. It would be great to have that conversation before they're already out the door. It, it, exactly. Because, hey, they may not be like, no, that bridge is burnt. But even if they're willing to talk to you, it's a bit closing the barn door after the horses have left. So how do we keep mm-hmm. the horses in? And I am not calling any of the team members horses, although I'm sure there are a few <laughs> that are. And it's never it's never the uh, posterior of the horse that leaves. They're the ones that always stick around. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, you know, maybe how do we have that? How do we figure out how to get that data while people are still bought in? You know, there's a great article in Inc., um, and it talks about that. And they, they actually break it down into three different rules. So obviously we have the exit interview. So that's the third one. They actually recommend an entry interview, which was something um, I've seen elsewhere. Uh, you know, you, you do an interview to hire somebody, but there are things you can't ask during that process, depending on what state you're right. in. Right? We just have, we're so litigious that all of a sudden, you know, it, it's fearful that, Somebody doesn't get the job and you ask the wrong question, even if it didn't factor into they're not being hired. Next thing you know, you got a lawsuit on your hand. Right. Well, once you've hired somebody, that dynamic changes somewhat. And of course, check with your HR professionals, the legal professionals. Don't take our word for it because neither one of us are lawyers. We don't even play them on TV. And at the same time, getting a better understanding of what somebody's aspirations are um, in the beginning. So, you know, we know we're setting people up for success. And then really, to me, the the, the bellwether of this are um, periodic one-to-one meetings. Well, now let's go back to the end. I agree with you there. And, and that, that's super important, that ongoing communication of how's it going, how's it working, um, almost a rehire conversation. Like, let's look at this again and say, okay, now where are you? But let's go back to the entry interview because there's another dynamic that changes once you hire somebody. They're no longer trying to get the job. Now they know they've got the job and they're not as worried about saying something that's going to not get them the job. So like for me, if I was in an interview and somebody said, so what kind of management style doesn't work for you? I would be real hesitant to share negatively about a past boss or a past company. Like I'd be real, real careful with that. Though once I was hired, I'd be much more likely to share, hey, you know, this didn't work for me. You know, this was really tough to deal with um, because I've already got the job and I'm not worried about that anymore. Yes. And hopefully, you know, and this is... uh... Hopefully during the interview process, the hiring interview process, that exploration of culture took place on both sides, right? As an applicant, I mean, it's kind of important if you don't like um, somebody breathing down your neck and micromanaging, you find out ahead of time before you accept that job. And likewise, and and I'm just using this because this is probably the most common um, management or 
management style that doesn't work, you know, right, is micromanagement. And likewise, if if you're a type of company that where you need to be, you know, controlling everything, you really want people to know up front that that's what they're walking into, because otherwise your turn rate is going to be outrageous. So hopefully that's covered. Well, and as an applicant, I'm going to, for if I'm exploring that, like, hey, I had a manager once, I know I don't like to be micromanaged. I would explore that through a series of questions about how things are led at the organization rather than this doesn't work for me. Absolutely. Right. So it's it's a different conversation in a way. Yes, I'm going to explore to make sure I'm getting what I need, but I can then be more explicit with what I'm saying when I've already got the job and I don't need to worry about that. Yeah. Some of the questions that I think at this point are really critical. And I'm not saying that's not not important. But if I'm if I just hired you and what I really like to find out is, you know, what are your aspirations? Right? How do you see this supporting? How how does this job support you and your aspirations? You know, may, maybe for example, you said, well, you know, I really want to be a chef, and I can't afford culinary school, so I figured based on you know this job that if I work here for two or three years, I could save up enough money to then go to culinary school full time without having to worry about supporting myself. Whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you're a bad hire. You know, you've told me you've got a two to three year time frame. It tells me what I need to invest in you in that period, right? Because I, you know, or maybe I see something in you that you might not see in yourself and and I could explore with you, is that the only thing, right? Is there more we could do with this if if I really want to entice you onto the team? But we can work out a win-win if I know that ahead of time. Well, and when a, when an applicant feels like you are invested in their future and you care about what they're trying to achieve with their job, with their life, et cetera, they're a whole lot more likely to be invested in you. You know, we know that. Um, and if they see a future or they see like you trying to help them achieve what they're trying to achieve in the future, they're much more likely to stick around and work hard because they see why they're there. Absolutely. And at the same time, if Let's say, again, let's use that same exact scenario and you're dead set on being, you know, the next Amberell. You've already got the hair for it. Let's be honest. Right. And, right. <laughs> and and you're, you're dead set to be the next Amberell. And I support you in that. And three years go by and you've put enough money away. And I've, you know, I've never done anything to undermine that. And I've just supported you that now it's time for you to go to culinary school. And the whole rest of the team knows that I had your back the whole time. Right. What's that say now? It, it just spills over. Now it creates a culture where right. they go, you know what? I'm here for you as the as the leader. I'm here for you. And even if you, the next Amberell, instead of the Ann Bonnie, we're just going to change your last name here. Yeah, and just half of it. Not even half. Well, well, whatever. You'll keep the initials. Yeah. How's that? Um thank you. <laughs> of course, that's also Alton Brown's initials. Um, but I think you'd be a better Amberell than Alton Brown. Um at any rate, no, I'm not smart enough to be Alton Brown. <laughs> I don't think Alton Brown's smart enough to be Alton Brown. Um, at, at, at any rate, the rest of the team will react so positively to that right. and pay dividends there as well. So it really. And when we talk about, yeah, when yeah, we talk like, about the bottom line, which is persuasion, if they feel like we're bought into them, they're going to buy into us and they're going to be persuaded. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's we're, we're anthropologically. Um, uh, designed to do that, right? We reciprocation 
It's just built into our DNA because it's a survival trait. Mm -hmm. And that's literally the chapter that I was just reading in, uh, what is it, Robert Caldini's book, Influence. I'm finally reading it because it's been on my shelf for 100 years. But the whole law of reciprocation is the chapter that I was just going through. And I mean, it is a deep wired human need to reciprocate. And so if the employee feels like the company is bought into them and their future. And again, if I say, hey, Dave, you know, you've been saving up for culinary school for three years now and support your departure, even though it sucks that you're leaving and all that, like we don't have to have a weird dynamic with anybody else who's uh, who's making other plans or needing to be supported in things. And they're going to recommend their friends. What if during that time period, during this, say, three-year time period, you earned a bonus. And when I present you that bonus, I say, and Anne, here's a nice little bonus that will help you get to culinary school. Wow. How powerful is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these days with you know being short-staffed, we may need somebody part-time. We may need somebody to come in during a holiday breaks. We may need you know them and they'll be thrilled to give it to us if they can do that, you know? So it it opens up other doors. Or what if you go to culinary school and you realize, or even you go to culinary school, you graduate culinary school, you get a job in the restaurant business, which is a challenging business to be in. And all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I kind of liked it working for Dave better. And that door's <laughs> wide open. Because that relationship right. is still intact. Yep. Yep. So that's the entry. I love it. And, you know, and I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember who it was. It might have been in uh, Traction, um, uh, um, the book Traction by, God, I'm blanking. It'll come to me while... But it'll come, it is actually going to come to Anne because I could see her researching it online because um, <laughs> my my 61-year-old brain now is seizing up on me. Um, Traction, but, get a grip on your business by Gino Hickman. Gino Hickman, of course. I believe it's in Traction where he talks about, you know, that first day. Now, the first day of work, what typically happens in most companies in the first day of work, right? You come in, you do all the HR stuff. Maybe they have you come in early. Right. And then you sit down and somebody says, yeah, let me show you what to do. It's assuming there's no training. I mean, there's a lot of lot of lot of industries which put really, you know, you show up and there's a set training program, but mm-hmm. there's a lot that don't, you know, and they sit you down. You're going to it's sort of going to be an OJT and you're, you're sort of just sitting there and, oh, you're the new guy. Instead, what if the boss, you know, sets aside their morning, gives you a does an entry interview does a, a an indoctrination, and I don't mean like, you know, mental indoctrination, but sort of shows you around the office where things are, how things do, takes you to lunch, gives you that really special first day. Mm-hmm. That's another piece of this, quote, entry interview that, that I think needs to get um, re- emphasized a lot. Because when you make that first day special, it starts things off on the right foot. Exactly. They don't, because I have been on first days before where you're sitting there going, 
what have I done? This is terrible because you're sitting there at your desk. You don't have your computer yet. So you're like, you've known I was coming for two months and like, nobody's paying attention to you. They slap you down with a handbook and like, here, read this. We'll get to you at two. You know, I mean, it's this terrible, awkward thing because again, everybody is running on all cylinders. So it's, it's not because they're lazy. It's not because, you know, it's because everybody's just trying to get their stuff done. But to your point, the investment in the way an employee feels about starting at a new place, they already feel awkward. And so when they feel like I matter here, they're much more likely to buy into all of the things that they have to buy into as they start their career with you. So I love that. I think that's, and I've always said that that onboarding experience needs to be intentional. Otherwise people are feeling crappy about working for you right out of the gate. And that is not easy to come back from. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I talk all the time with my coaching clients about having systems in place for everything. And Typically, what they think about when I talk about systems is a production system, Depend whatever it is. It could be service, it could be manufacturing, could be construction. It doesn't really matter the industry. It's a production system. Mm-hmm. But really, I'm talking about systems for every single thing that happens. Everything yep. from the moment the key is opened or the code is put in to unlock the door to the moment the code is put in to lock the door and everything in between. It doesn't mean there isn't flexibility. Right, but it means there's a structure from which to flex. Well, and the right, and the and what comes from that is an understanding and a common expectation of what being here and working here looks like. Right. So now we both know where we're trying to go, what it's supposed to look like. Then we can say, okay, cool. We're we can flex here, flex here, because I know what it's supposed to look like. Um, so I, I mean, I love that. And I'm I'm a little less structured, perhaps, but you know, um, that's what the little redhead does. Um, uh, but that said, I am all about creating that common expectation. So we're both on the same page. Absolutely. And no, and the last piece on that, and then then I want to move to the um periodic interviews um mm-hmm. the the uh they call them stay interviews in this ink article which i mm, not i'm not enamored with that name but the last piece on, on having the structure is that you want to call it the please stay please stay interview <laughs> sorry go ahead honestly i prefer growth interviews you know that's that they're really about growth. They're about you as an individual yep. growing. And if you, and it, you know, words matter, nomenclature mm. matters, the names we give things matter. And when we say stay, that sounds almost like desperation uh, or, or um, a, a scarcity mindset, right? Where growth is more of an abundance mindset, I think. But we'll yeah. put put that aside for a few seconds. And the last piece on structure is what structure gives you the ability to do, the reason structure gives you the ability to be more flexible is it eliminates many of the factors that need to be modified. What I mean by that, when something comes all along that's a one-off, it's never a hundred percent one-off. And so now you could say, all right, we're going to modify our structure, our normal procedure. And we're only going to talk about the things that need to be modified. Everything else is the same. And so you start mm-hmm. from a common baseline, as opposed to if you have no structure, then you have to make it up. How many times have you done this where it's like, God, are we reinventing the wheel for the 100th time? Can't we just... And, yeah. And when it comes to those human process that, that we're talking about right now, 
Oftentimes, when we're making it up every single time, we end up shortchanging certain people. Oh, I didn't get that. I didn't get that when I started or whatever. And then you've got an inequity that you totally didn't intend to have, but can start to seed toxicity within your team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and and got. I didn't get to go to lunch. And got to go to lunch. She's his favorite. Right. Exactly. So, so a structure written down exact process, how you're going to do it. And then, like I said, if there's a one-off, there's a one-off, but you're just modifying things a little bit, not making it up. So let's, mm-hmm. let, let's move on to our growth interview. Okay. What is let's it? You, do. Let's do that. What is it you like to see in that? <laughs> you know, I, it's funny. Somebody recently said that every year on their anniversary, this person and their spouse went out to dinner and they, rehired each other. They re they recommitted to the relationship and they said, okay, over the last year, what's worked? What hasn't? What do we want to keep doing? What don't we want to keep doing? Do we want to keep doing this? You know? And so it's almost like a, a recommitment interview. And that sounds dramatic. So, you know, we don't need to be that dramatic, but um, the, by like saying, Hey, let's, let's, Talk about what's working. Let's talk about what's not. Are you working towards where you're trying to go? Are we committing? Are we uh, like executing everything we said we would to support you in where you want to go in the future? Do you still want to work here? Do we still want to have you? You know, like how can we change things? But by framing it up as sort of a restart almost, it allows you to work from today and go forward. You know, so often in the annual performance evaluation, we're so stuck to the form of that we have to do for everybody. That's all, you know, that we don't get into the whole what's working, what's not. Are you moving towards your goals rather than just what you're doing for me and the company? Yeah, it brings a few different points to mind. So one, I I love that conversation. I don't think once a year is sufficient. I think that's okay. I, I think I think that conversation needs to happen more frequently than once a year um mm-hmm. because i mean just like just like in a, a, any evaluation there shouldn't be a surprise right if right. if if i'm doing my my at least evalu- no negative ones you can surprise me with lots of money yes right but <laughs> but, but even then i mean you well i mean that's a whole other conversation i don't think i don't think raises should be tied to evaluations right there should be no expectation to get a raise with the evaluation that, that, that we, I just mean a gun full of money that you fire at me after we finish our interview. Well, that would be surprising. Hopefully, it doesn't hurt you. Right. Too, you know that water. Well, money. you know, I, I could a couple paper cuts and a thousand dollars. I'm in. <laughs> right, but but anyway, I, yeah, I'm joking. Right, I know you are. Uh, so 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 do our listeners. You have a reputation for that. Um, you're the funny one of the two of us. Um, <laughs> you're the good looking one. I'm the funny one. <laughs> That would make me Dean Martin to your Jerry Lewis. Oh. Yeah, that was not okay. a good. <laughs> I, guess, I guess so. <laughs> I walked into that one. <laughs> yes, you did. Um, you know, so once a year, I mean, there, there should be no, especially on the negative side, right? If, if we sit down for that right. annual evaluation and, and you're like, uh, yeah, you, you're really not meeting expectations. I'm like, what? I thought I was doing great. Oh. Yeah. I mean, you talk about taking the wind out of somebody's sails. On the other hand, if we've met periodically, and I don't, first of all, folks, I, these meetings I'm talking about are not intended as evaluations. And at the same time, 
if somebody, and we've talked about this in other podcasts, if somebody's falling short, you darn well better be meeting with them and telling them they're falling short or, or it's on you. But oh, yeah. these meetings I'm talking about are, are more about, am I meeting your expectations? Are we meeting mm-hmm. your needs, right? right. Are, are, are you achieving what you set out to achieve? And how can I support you in doing that? Or how can I reframe you? You know, maybe you had unreasonable expectations, like you were going to be the CEO by your six month anniversary, or would that be a lunaversary? I guess at that point, since it's months and it's only six of them, let's not be lunatics. Whoa. At any rate, I know that was deep. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but right, if if after six months you're going, wait a second, I'm not the president of the company yet. You know, right? I maybe I need to address what that career path really looks like um right so that to me that that's the real value of these periodics and and for me mm-hmm. when somebody's brand new i think once a month for a period of time get to know them get those you know and and this is not a hard and fast you know maybe it's two or three months of that maybe it's four you'll get a feel for it you know and then you start to push it out maybe to every other month or every three months. I think once a quarter is probably um, the least mm-hmm. or the longest between, you know, the, the maintenance schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that is important because when you just start, you don't know what you don't know and, and you haven't gotten into the job and you don't know what's working and what isn't working. So you, if you have that periodic check-in and again, a lot of you may be saying, I don't have time for that. But do you have time not to do it? You know, do you have time to do their job? <laughs> you know, do you have time? Do you have time to replace them again and again right. and again? Right. Do you have time for an exit interview <laughs> that we don't want to do? Which you probably don't have the time for, and you're probably not going to do it because it's happening. You know, all the time. Right. Typically, you hire somebody on a 90-day probationary period. I think even like, you know, I'm in California and we're we're one of the most um, uh, um, employee-friendly states in terms of things like that. Even though it's an at-will state, there's enough other rules in place to virtually do away with that. Mm-hmm. And even here in Cal- California, though, in that 90-day period, you can pretty much get, a, not get away with, but, you know, you're out of here. You're not working out. And, and, and you know, the courts are going to be like, yeah, 90 days, you're fine. That 91st day, mm-hmm. the world changes. And so I better be meeting with my team, new team members once a month to m- let's make sure they know because at that 90 day mark, I need to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, and going back to what you said about if somebody's underperforming, they need to know right away, especially in the beginning. You know, that also sets the stage for these periodic conversations to happen. You're creating that culture of open communication where we tell each other what's working, what's not working on a regular basis. And you can tell me as much as I can tell you, um, you know, and that those conversations are welcomed. And the more we do that, the easier they become. And that culture of continuous improvement on both sides, the employer and the employee, becomes the norm. And it's just the way we do things. And man, when you've got that, it is a refreshing place to work. It's a place you look forward to going into work every day. And while Fridays may be a day, okay, I need the break. It's yeah. not, I'm so glad to get the heck out of here. It's, yeah, I'm looking forward to recharging. So I'm back Monday excited again. Right. 
Yeah, because I know where I stand. I know they care about me and I care about them because it feels good to be there. That takes courage too. And it takes prioritizing those courageous conversations. Yeah. And you and I were talking about this you know, before the podcast started that I, you know, I, I don't want to say I object to the word courageous. I don't. I, I love courage. But these really shouldn't be courageous. Uh, oh, I shouldn't use the word should either in that sentence. But they don't need to be courageous. You just talked yourself right into a hole. <laughs> yeah, I know. But they don't need to be courageous, meaning that, you know, courage is, is doing something in the face of fear, right? That's courage. When, you, when you're fearful of doing it and you do it anyway. And so if you're doing these conversations all the time, you learn that there's nothing to be afraid of. Right. Because everybody kind of knows this is the normal thing. I'm not attacking you. We're all trying to be better here. You know, it becomes that comfort level where it's not a big deal to say, hey, Dave, this isn't working. Let's chat about it because I want to make sure you get back on track. You're not like, oh, my God, they're going to fire me. She hates me. You know, and it, it becomes a whole lot more constructive of a conversation. And like you said, a whole lot less scary. Yeah. And it's not just, hey, Dave, this isn't working from a um, supervisor to an employee perspective. It's also, hey, Ann, this isn't working for me. Yeah. But where uh, now as the employee, the, uh, I'm telling my boss, I'm going, you know, and yes, folks, I did just call Ann my boss. Um, and, and, and I'm going, you know, this isn't working for me. And, and here's what I, this is what I thought was going to happen. And I'm not seeing it. Right. And I mean, wouldn't you rather one of your talented, you know, team members come to you and say, hey, I'm having problems at home. My spouse just left and I'm by myself with the kids. I got to get them out the door in the morning and I need to shift my schedule. Can you help me out with that? Can we work together on a solution here? Rather than saying, I can't do this job anymore. I got to go find another one because I'm afraid to talk to my boss about possibly working together on a solution. You know, you just nailed it right there. And, and I know I've shared this story probably several times in the last several years of this podcast, but it's worth no, not necessarily sharing the whole story, but we're reminding our listeners about it. Uh, I had that one employee who, uh, when I first went to work at the moving company, he was the guy that uh, was just fighting me tooth and nail about change. I knew once I convinced him that everybody would fall in a line and we slowly came to an understanding and there's some sort of, I would say, begrudging respect. Um, and, and it was mutual. I've talked to him since then. He's like, yeah, I started respecting you when you started respecting me. And there's probably some truth to that. You know, I, I, I'm not going to, you know, I respect that. I didn't respect him all along. It took me a while mm -hmm. to figure out that, yeah, just because he's uneducated, he's a really smart guy. And you know, I've said many times, I've told him this, if, if, if I cloned him, I'd hire a thousand, a million of them any time now that I know him. But it took me a while to get there. And as I got there, he got there. But then one day, he seemed to have reverted to his old self. And instead of attacking him for a bad attitude, I asked him what was going on. And he shared with me that one of his children was uh, diagnosed with lupus. And, you know, my first re reaction to him was, look, whatever you need, you know, you need time off, time off. We'll figure it out. How can I support you? And you could literally see his shoulders deflate. The, you could see the weight leave his shoulders when he realized that I had his back. And that changed our mm -hmm. dynamic 
forever. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you cared about him as a person, not just him as somebody who got stuff done for your company. Right. That, you know, that was so beautifully said. It wasn't about getting the job done at the office. It was about supporting him as a human being. And when I made mm-hmm. that shift, the shift in him was absolutely tremendous. Of course, because he was getting what he needed, you know, and and he knew that it was okay to have that conversation and to ask for those things. You know, this is something that I've just just started learning in my life is that it's okay to ask for what you need. But if I'm afraid of my employer and we're not having those conversations, I'm not going to bother. I'm just going to leave. And then we're both high and dry. And I just put a connection together I never had before. So there was another employee at the same company who was uh, on probation. And so keeping his job was absolutely critical. And he uh, had he, he was a mover who had to move into the office because of an, a, a bad injury. He fell off the back of a truck. And he was so paranoid about making a mistake, you know, because he didn't want to lose his job. But he wasn't at a place yet where he could admit to not knowing how to do something, which, of course, then means Mm -hmm. the mistakes start to happen. Because, and I believe this, because he was good friends with the first gentleman I talked about. And so when I was said to him, I said, look, let you and I work together. I want you to be, and I said to him, I'm like, I get this job's critical to you. I know what it means if you lose this job. I'm not going to let that happen. Let's work together so you don't. It was a similar type of thing. All of a sudden, I was like, wait a second. Because I already had a reputation for watching somebody's back, it was easy for him to accept that from me that I really did. And, you know, it worked out for him as well. And this is where the authenticity that we've talked about so many times and role modeling that we've talked about so many times comes in is so important is for somebody to not go, oh, Dave's using a management tactic that he learned in a class the other day. You know, Dave genuinely gives a hoot. And it's that long-term investment in your people and an investment in these conversations. And again, because they knew you as that guy and they believed in you, he didn't think, oh, wow, Dave's just trying to use a management strategy on me. And it took a couple of years to get there. This was not an. This mm-hmm. is not an overnight thing, and that's the other thing, folks. Right. You know, if you're thinking, "Wow, I've already burned a few bridges under my belt," you may have, but that doesn't mean mm-hmm. you can't rebuild them. Right. And it's going to take time, and just be committed to the process. Consistency, just yeah. That's. I mean, it's just like you know, dieting to live healthy. It's just make it your lifestyle. Don't go on a diet. Don't try something for three months. Make it the way you lead, and yeah. then. Everybody comes right along behind you. Now, it's, that's, you, you nailed it, right? If, if you say, I'm setting out to lose 30 pounds, oh, you'll probably lose the 30 pounds. And then it's like, I'm done. Woo, back to the way and I was. And then you find them again. And then more, <laughs> right? And then right. you find 35 pounds. What a, what a return on investment. I invest 30 and I get 35 back. Sounds like a win. Woo-hoo! Right. Except for it's not. But when you right. say, you know what? I'm just going to be healthier. And my goal is to maintain a weight of, X, 150 pounds, mm-hmm. whatever it is, you know, that's a totally different dynamic. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're yep. talking about. And, and so you should your leadership be. You shouldn't try something, try authenticity, try honesty. And when it doesn't work in a month or one conversation, you're like, oh, well, that didn't work, you know? 
if you know it's right for your people, just do it. And over time, it will settle in. And, you know, you, you bring up another point where you just, if you spend as much time as I know you and I do around other leadership folks, you know, we, we're both in the industry. We know a ton of people in the industry. There's, you know, and if you really distill what everybody's saying, we're all saying the exact same thing. Just we don't really, be a jerk. <laughs> um, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll certainly take that. Now, you know, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of that doesn't mean your goal is to be liked, which is which is a trap. But my point is all the leadership things we're talking about, being authentic, being caring about people, build your people up, all of that. We're all saying the same things. We all say it in slightly different ways. And so if you're listening to this going, uh, this isn't working, or you bought a book and you go, that didn't work for me. Find another book, listen to another podcast, find another program. Mm -hmm. It's, it's perspective it, it, it's a different approach to the same thing or, or maybe a different way of stating the same thing, but we're all saying the same thing. Right. And well, and this is always how I justify, you know, cause I, I, when I talk about change and I talk about difficult conversations and I talk about all this stuff, it's not like I'm not inventing new stuff. I just say it in a certain way that could land with certain people when they need it. And so I love your point of like, okay, if that didn't land for you, Read something else. Find the voice that speaks to you and and go there. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else you want to give on these uh, growth interviews? Do them. Do them. Yeah. Do them. Just do them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And again, think of it as an investment in the future of that person sticking around. Yes, it takes time. Yes, it takes you stopping your forward momentum and being in the room with that person right then and having that conversation. But how much time does that save you in the future trying to solve problems, trying to replace them, trying to, you know, all the things? Think of it as an investment and make the time. I, 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 the only tr I don't think it stops your momentum at all. I don't think it can ever stop. I think it does nothing but accelerate your momentum because what it does is it shifts some of that traction from your shoulders to their shoulders as they, because of that, come out more energized and drive your organization forward so you don't have to work as much. This is your primary job. What we just described mm -hmm. is your primary job. Everything else is secondary to this. Mm -hmm. Get your people working at the best that they can and feeling good about it. All right. Mic drop. We'll see you folks. Mic drop. Week. See you next week, everybody. Thanks for listening. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg, and you can find my website at LockedOnLeadership.com. And this is Ann Bonnie at YourChangeSpeaker.com. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them. <laughs>